Dr. Sarah McMillan and her husband Don took over leadership of McMillan Education in 2009. Sarah oversees the special needs side of McMillan's practice. Her expertise as a longtime educator and psychologist align with her role as supervisor of the McMillan counselors working directly with families of students who have a wide range of educational and developmental needs, particularly learning differences and emotional and behavioral challenges. Sarah attended St. George's School and later graduated from Colby College with a bachelor's in English. Sarah also holds a master's degree in English and history from Boston College and a doctoral degree in developmental and counseling psychology from Boston University. A teacher and administrator at both the college and independent school levels for over 25 years, Sarah held multiple positions in education and counseling during her career. Prior to Macmillan education, Sarah was a head of an upper school, a director of studies, a dean of students, an English chair, an English teacher, a coach, and a dorm head. Sarah, thank you for joining me. Nice to be here. There's a lot being said these days about the struggles undergraduates are having, being successful in college, and even finishing college. Before we get into the reasons why this crisis in higher education is occurring, can you help us understand the extent of the issue? I think it's long been uh, a misunderstanding that everyone is supposed to go through college successfully in four years, that their four years are supposed to be contiguous, that there are supposed to be no interruptions in the undergraduate experience. That's really never been true, but it's become more of a crisis among undergraduate students because of the reasons that they're struggling, and there are more of them. It's important to understand that just over 40% of students finish a bachelor's degree in the United States in four years. That's a, that's a low number. And over 55% of those students take at least five years to complete their degree with the rest somewhere in between that four and five plus length of duration in their undergraduate years. Then we start thinking about who are these students and why are they struggling to complete that degree in four years? And then we learn that four in 10 students consider dropping out of college altogether for mental health reasons. And that doesn't take into account the medical leaves that they're taking in the interim of making that larger decision about whether to stay with college or leave college. On top of dropping out of college altogether, taking time off for mental health and medical leaves in order to address the struggles the student is experiencing, which delays graduating from college. Another about 30% of undergraduate students nationwide transfer colleges at some point before they graduate, which is an endeavor, whether it's for positive reasons, for example, I want to change my major or I don't really like the social life here, but I found a great social milieu at a different college, or if it's really because they're trying to address a crisis of mental health or of academic failure in the interim, a transfer of colleges slows down that rate of graduation as well. So if you're a student who isn't running through four years contiguously, if you're struggling some way, whether I just didn't find the right college and I need to find a new one, or more typically, you're that student who is actually really struggling, is not doing well because of mental health reasons, um, that you are not doing well because of academic failure. You're not alone, not by a long shot. 
So as a developmental psychologist, is it a coincidence that so many mental health struggles arise at this time in students' lives? That's a really good question. I, I don't think it's a coincidence, right? There are some things that happen developmentally that are just very organic, very part, very, that are very organic, very much part of becoming a young adult uh, that are related to mental health struggles. But there are other just more environmentally informed features that can affect a student's ability to be successful in college to begin with or to struggle to complete college. A lot of the challenges that students can find overwhelming or even debilitating in college are ones that that student may have long had, but they've been kind of dormant and maybe not evident to the student or to the family, or there's some evidence that their struggle, but the students manage to persevere and overcome those struggles. And that's largely because the high school environment itself is much more highly scaffolded, much more highly scheduled. And that kind of environment kind of acts like a container. It's a tighter container for a student. And that container with that built-in environmental natural scaffolding and scheduling of the student's everyday life is very reassuring to the student and is also that thing that facilitates the student's ability to get things done and to do so with a lot of reassurance that even in struggle, that the environment is there to support that student. And then when that student moves into a far less structured environment, which is 100% what college is, that student is more likely to find that environment exceedingly difficult. So that transition just environmentally from high school to college, it's not really a coincidence, right? That is the way that we've designed the continuum of education in our country. But some students are more vulnerable for the, the more kind of organic developmental reasons of being at risk for failure moving from that more highly structured environment to the less highly structured environment. That's uh, that's helpful to understanding the transitional challenges students face moving from high school to college. I'm wondering, though, if you could provide a little bit more detail outside of the obvious daily schedule of the student, about how the different environments of college might affect a student coming from high school. So if we dig in a little bit more to that idea that high school can act as a container, an environmental container for that younger person, that container is is acting essentially as a regulatory mechanism for the student. It's acting as an aid and a facilitator of those executive tasks that, the, that are required to meet an environment's demands. So getting in homework, showing up to practice on time, feeling that kind of sense of security that you know what you're supposed to do, you know when you're supposed to do it, and you know what's required of you to do it. That's that kind of executive regulatory mechanism that in high school is an external feature of a high school experience, of a high school student's experience. But in addition to the just, I know what's expected of me, I know how to get it done, I know when to get it done, and I even know that if I struggle a little bit, that the environment's going to respond to me in a certain way to get me back on track. In addition to those executive features that are really aided by this environmental container of high school, that container also acts as an emotional regulatory mechanism. 
So essentially the high schooler can rely more on the environment to help them get things done, but also to not feel overwhelmed by the demands that are coming down on them because that environment is kind of naturally scaffolding those demands, naturally categorizing them, prioritizing them for the student. The student doesn't have to do it. And that environment also provides in the way of this emotional regulatory feature it provides a, a kind of soothing mechanism. If I'm not feeling good about what's required of me and how I'm meeting those requirements, if I start to feel stressed, if I start to feel overwhelmed, there are people around me and there's a daily structure and schedule around me that are built naturally to comfort me, to help me figure out how to get where I need to go, to do what's required of me, and how to do it to meet the demand. Now, that's not to say that everybody experiences that environment in a super positive way, but that environment can help regulate but that environment can help regulate the distress that's natural when you feel like you are not able to meet the moment, when you're not able to meet the demands of the moment. Think of it this way. It doesn't allow a runaway car to pick up too much speed and crash. It's there to make sure that the car might pick up a little too much speed, might be driving a little too recklessly, might be a little bit out of control, but it's going to help slow it down, get it back on track, and recalibrate it so that it's working better. Those two features of that kind of high school container, not only does it not exist in college, but it's kind of like a, a rug being pulled out from underneath that student immediately. And with no gradual easing into a kind of new environment that is going to have none or very little, most often none in, in colleges, that kind of container effect. The transition from high school to college in many ways, especially in our culture, is supposed to be the beginning of students starting to put that structure up around for themselves. But it happens so suddenly, right, that it can really feel like the, the rug's being pulled out from them. Correct. And for many students, high school is a time where they are developing more and more independence, and they are naturally what we call in developmental psychology, integrating those regulatory mechanisms that the environment has been uh, providing because they are able to function more and more independently. And that means that they're not relying on the environment to structure their time. They can initiate tasks on their own. They can break tasks down on their own. They can understand how to categorize them and prioritize them so that they don't become emotionally stressed, emotionally dysregulated, and overwhelmed. And even emotionally, those younger um, adolescents who have required a lot of structuring and support let's say in middle school, but as they get into kind of midway through high school, they're even naturally developing the capacity to respond to stress emotionally in a more balanced and moderate way. They're not requiring the environment to soothe them, the environment to reassure them. And so 
they're in a place where that transition isn't going to feel as abrupt. The rug isn't going to be pulled out from underneath them. They can, regardless of their environment, put those skills into motion. It's that other cohort of high schoolers where it's harder to recognize how abrupt that transition is going to be because, well, parents are usually aware that they're having to remind their kids all the time to do things, that their grades aren't as good because they forget things or are late for things, or that they're regularly stressed out and freaked out about things and very reactive to things. They may have, they may see the signs of that, that transition to college being really more abrupt than is going to be helpful to them. But they're functioning well enough because of that container in high school that there's really no need to think that they won't be able to be successful in high school. It's not obvious how dependent they are on that high school container. And that's when a lot of those problems can be almost immediate in in that transition to college for that cohort of students. Once these problems start to appear, what, what do they typically look like? So, so that, you know, could be that freshman um, who is going into that first semester. Uh, it isn't obviously, you know, it isn't, it isn't immediately obvious to, to those around that freshman because, again, that container is not tight. So there's a lot of runway to get deep into trouble before anybody can take notice. But usually it starts with, uh, I get behind in homework because there's nobody checking it. I am not going to class anymore because I'm sleeping late, uh, because I'm not structuring my time well, and maybe I'm being too social, uh, and therefore I'm now behind in classes because the, the dean's office isn't going to, to be in touch with me until I hit a certain milestone of absenteeism. So, so you begin to see that young person dig some holes. I'm behind academically. I'm I'm off kilter in terms of my daily healthy habits, sleep, eat, um, just regular exercise, all of those good habits that, that feed healthy functioning generally. And they begin to build on themselves to the point where then that student is aware, well, I actually now have 10, 15, 20 hours of homework that I'm behind in one of my four or five classes. I'm now going to have to take a test that covers weeks of material that I haven't been keeping up on. And so not only am I facing academic uh, failure, but I'm also feeling really stressed out about it. So that young person can begin to get into kind of avoidant habits. I'm trying to kick the can down the road. I'm trying not to think about it. So not only behaviorally am I avoiding things like going to class. I don't want to see my professor. Um, but I'm also avoiding thinking about it. So I'm spending more time on screens, more time on social media. I'm also potentially beginning to self-medicate. I might be smoking way too much weed. I might really be partying more because I would prefer not to be thinking of these things. And if I'm going to really start calming myself when I am trying to continue to avoid the reality of the hole I've dug, I might even begin to self-medicate alone and isolate in my room. And really kind of the world isn't noticing. Nobody really knows. At the same time, there's a whole other cohort of students in college that it is not just about 
readiness for college in in regard to those developmental skills of self-regulation. It is really a time developmentally when certain mental illnesses begin to consolidate themselves. So they may have looked like dysregulated ADHD uh, in adolescence. They may have looked like a really heightened sensitivity or reactivity to a certain type of stressors or an emotionality in certain high schoolers. But now they're really starting to take on what we call abiding mental health in adulthood. And that simply means that some of those features of mental health were more latent during earlier development. They were not evident. They hadn't yet emerged fully. And young adulthood is that time just in the hard wiring of the development of the human being when this mental illness is going to start to take hold. And there are particular types of mental illness that that take hold in young adulthood. They tend to be related to mood or thought disorder kinds of mental illness, uh, or even what we call personality disorders. And they often can end up co-occurring with substance abuse. And so we need to be mindful that when our young adult is struggling in college, we've got to have a good set of diagnostics to understand why in order to be able to address what isn't going right, in order to be able to begin a path of, of rebooting mental health, of finding a way forward in terms of rebuilding or building for the first time those developmental skills that they're lacking, we've just talked about as well. One of the ways that these struggles are probably going to be most conspicuous is in the consequence of the transcripts of the students, which has to feel like a daunting task to overcome. But from the work we do, we know that there's certainly a way back from that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think you're right. I think a lot of times both parents and students are kind of focusing on uh, a record, right? Something that is a demonstration of, of where that student has been in college. It's tangible. It's something they can point to. And they will often come to us asking about transfer. And and that's understandable. I mean, this is this is what they've got. This is what they're holding in their hands, this transcript. And the transcript tells a, a much bigger story. And often, I think for many students, the transcript feels like I just need to get out of where I am and start over again. So well, that transcript, I think, is a is a starting point for us to unpack how to help a young person get back up and moving toward a well-balanced, happy, successful adulthood, it really is a starting point. We need to unpack a lot in order to be able to provide a, you know, a clear direction forward. Usually that young person is feeling a lot of despair and a lot of hopelessness. And while that transcript is the first thing that, that families or students might be thinking about, it is very much a possibility to reboot your life, to feel hopeful about your future. It's our work to infuse young people with a sense of hope and optimism about their future. They can move forward successfully. This is not the end. And while parents may be more on a pragmatic front, thinking we just need to get some pragmatic answers about how to move forward, 
we really do need to think of that that young person's sense of monumental failure and shame and humiliation. And so we, we've got to take a holistic approach to how we can move forward successfully. So practically speaking, we can do a lot to repair a transcript, to prepare a young person to re-enter college life, to really get a, a second chance at success as a college student and ultimately become a successful college graduate with a clear sense of career and future. But in the meantime, most young people who are arriving thinking, my first attempt at college was a disaster, and they have the evidence to show it in their transcript, we have a lot of rebuilding of the sense of, of self. They really need a, a, a reboot of their self-esteem. They need a reboot of their sense of who I am, what I'm good at, what I care about, what I'm passionate about. And that requires a particular type of planning. So with all that in mind, what are the practical steps a student can take on their, on their road back? So I think that the, the most important thing a young person can do if the first attempt at college has really not been successful is to take a deep breath and to slow down. So often that young person is so overwhelmed with shame and humiliation and is feeling so distraught that they're behind their peers in terms of when they're going to get back into college and when they're going to graduate. And they're very focused on that uh, very superficial level of what college is all about. And it's understandable. I mean, there's a panic. It's in, in their minds, it's all or nothing. I've failed or, uh, um, you know, I, I, I've got to get right back into college and get going again. And so what needs to happen first is, is a really good set of diagnostics on every level. Academically, where are you? Do you have credits that are transferable? You know, how much of your transcript needs to be rehabilitated? What type of educational interventions need to be taken in order to rehabilitate a transcript? And more substantively, how can we help build a sense of academic self-identity that is going to be sustainable once you are back in college so that you will be a successful student. And behind all of that are those developmental skills that are often missing. What can we do in relationship to assuring that you are going to be academically successful once we put into play those practical steps to rehabilitating your transcript and and providing you more self-confidence and so on. What are the skills that you don't have right now that you're going to need to acquire in this interim period that is rebuilding back toward re-enrolling in college that will ensure that you're successful the second time around? So what are some of the specific things uh, students will undergo as they go through this process? Typically what's happening is, is that young adult is possibly seeking some mental health care, possibly getting some intervention on executive skill deficits as well. Those are things that a, a student needs to be guided toward the appropriate resources in, in both areas. Usually that student is also undertaking what we call some type of continuing education program, which usually means that you are an unenrolled student at a college and you are taking college classes for college credit. 
and making sure that those classes are aligning with your strengths so that you are beginning to rebuild some success in college classes, demonstrating that you are college ready and that you are acquiring those skills that you were lacking in your first attempt. It can also include some level of vocational exploration that can come in the form of work, internships, community service. Um, There are a lot of different types of opportunities. But sometimes students are really not in a position to be undertaking this type of kind of fragmented schedule where I might be taking a handful of classes at a particular university as an unenrolled student. I'm also working part-time and I'm, I'm on the side doing some really necessary therapy and perhaps even getting some academic or executive tutoring. That can feel very fragmented. And, and sometimes students really need a wraparound program where they can have all of those features that I just described integrated into one setting and nonetheless be really working in a college town, in a college community, out in the world gaining more and more confidence, um, executing those young adult skills more and more independently. What are the outcomes that you tend to see when students undertake these steps? You know, they're really rewarding. I mean, they're rewarding just even as someone who gets to witness this kind of reset that a, a young adult who has had a lot of despair and struggle and disappointment really turn his life around. The, I think the gift of this struggle that young young adults um, in this in this particular group of students that we're seeing these days, the gift that they experience is they they develop a clarity about themselves and, and a real maturity about who they are. They have a, a a kind of revelation about their strengths, their interests, their passions, and also their needs. And they become much more accepting of the fact that like all human beings, they have weaknesses, they have needs, they have vulnerabilities. They have the time to be reflective, to really work on themselves, to really become very conscious and conscientious as well about the others in their lives. And they have time to really do the treatment that they need and to to, to interface with the the kind of treatment that is going to help them become the person that they want. So the the types of stories that we see are young people who were really at the depths of despair. And then several years later, we get a note and they're off to law school, or they just landed a job that they never thought they would have, but they absolutely love. So it's incredibly fulfilling to see that. And it really showcases the fact that even at the lowest moment, that young adult should be feeling hopeful and optimistic that he can have the future he wants. That was great, Sarah. Thank you so much. Thanks, Noah. It was great spending time with you talking about a topic that means a lot to me. Thank you for listening to Wise Advice on Educational Planning. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review.